Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blind spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, y'all, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are online. Thank you once again for tuning in, people. It is your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio. Ladies and gents, we got a lot to discuss on today's show. Uh, we got to talk about some comments that Diddy made about the state of R&B by him stating that it was dead. Is it dead? We will find out. Let's talk about it. Beyond that, we also got to talk about a rapper, an AI rapper at that by the name of FN Mecca that got a record deal from Capitol Records. We also got to talk about NBA Youngboy signing a $60 million record deal contract with cash money, of all people. And then Swiss Beats and Timbaland are suing Triller for $28 million in unpaid costs from uh, their versus enterprise. So we're going to talk about that. We got to talk about Erica Banks as well and a few other things on the agenda. But before we get to all of that, you guys already know that I like to start the show off by getting some stuff off of my chest so to speak so on that note i think it's time to let that is breathe let this bitch breathe yes yes okay so funny enough i was actually going to start off today's show by discussing you know, some comments that Irv Gotti had been making over the last few days. Now, mind you, this is totally old news at this point. This is probably about two or three weeks ago, give or take. And what he was making some comments about Ashanti and his past relationship with her on the Drinking Champs podcast with Noriega. So I was going to talk about that. But the more I read about it, the more I didn't care. It just sounded like some chatty patty BS that I really wasn't even trying to get into. But then... The rap gods blessed us today, or shall I say yesterday. Um, this recording is done on August 27th, 2022. Uh, so for me, it would be yesterday. And by that, I mean the verse that Jay-Z laid down on a record called God Did off of DJ Khaled's latest album. Now, my boy, shout out to my man Jay Kareem, by the way. Uh, he sent me the record and he just told me to listen to Hove's verse. Just listen to Jay's verse. Forget about everyone, let's just listen to Jay's verse. I was like, say less. I will. So I listened to it, and now I was like, holy crap. I haven't heard Jay spit like this? And don't get me wrong, Jay, like, he's the GOAT, or at least one of the GOATs, depending on where you want to place him. But, and he's he has been spitting at a, at a very high level, you know, over the years and what have you, recent years. But I haven't heard this type of Jay since So Appalled, circa 2010, off of Kanye's Dark Twisted Fantasy album. And that was 12 years ago. Now again, let me reiterate, it's not that I haven't heard Jay spit at a high level 
over the course of 12 years, I definitely have. I mean, shoot. 444 is arguably a top five Jay-Z album. Arguably. And he had plenty of bars and quotables on that on that project as well. But this verse? Woo! This verse right here, boy, let me tell you. Oh, I haven't heard Jay-Z this hungry in a minute. And it's not even just like the double entendres that he was flipping, but it was a matter of how he was going about it. The storytelling, the, the context, going back into memory lane and talking about certain things that he's done and what that has turned into for not only himself, but, 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 the, but the culture as a whole and what have you, the influence that he's had. And it's not just him, you know, bloviating and stuff like that. He's dropping gems. He's, he's, he's trying to teach, les teach lessons while, you know, entertaining the masses with his ability to, to flip words and syllables and similes and things of that nature. So let me give you, you know, a few quotables that he had on this record. All right. So once again, the name of the record is called God Did. And it features himself. Um, I believe John Legend is on there and Lil Wayne is on there as well. And if there's anyone else I'm missing on this record, I apologize. But in my opinion, Jay-Z's verse was the highlight. And it's the only thing that you should be paying attention to. But no disrespect to anyone else involved. But holy shit, Jay-Z arguably had the verse of the year. And we have a few more months left to go. So anyways, I digress. Let me give you some of the quotables that this guy said, okay? So, so one of the verses, or one of the lines, I should say, that he had earlier in the song... Uh, was him talking about how he became, you know, not only hip-hop's first billionaire, which is a huge landmark to hit, but how he also had the influence and the power to create three other billionaires in that process within the culture. So this is what he said, and I quote, Please, Lord, forgive me for what the stove did. Nobody touched Billy until Hove did. How many billionaires can come from Hove crib? Huh? I count three. Me, Ye, and Re. Bronze a rock boy, so four technically. I'm like, okay, that's a good way to start off the verse, you know, talk your ish, talk your ish, I get it. So he's obviously referring to, you know, Kanye, Rihanna, and LeBron James, who was recently named uh, a billionaire not that long ago. He's, in fact, the first active basketball player in NBA history to become a billionaire. And he's only the second active athlete in professional sports history to become an active billionaire the first one being tiger woods so again huge accomplishment you know and as for Le um not lebron um rihanna and kanye west very self-explanatory okay so later on he basically talks about how he translated his street enterprises into corporate empires essentially right so we all know about his checkered past as a drug dealer but how he was able to, you know, turn that around, put that into music. And then with the music or sorry, with the money that he made from music, he invested into his businesses, his legit businesses that are now thriving. So he basically says the following, and I quote, I left the dope game with my record clean, huh? I turned the cocaina into champagne. Judge it how you judge it. Say we gone corporate. Nah, we just corner boys with the corner office. We pushing Fenty like fentanyl. Shit is all legitimate. Fenty being Rihanna's... Um, makeup line by the way and then he also says later on you know with the with regards to the term cap uh being used in today's slang as being fake basically he says the following and i quote i'm at the cap table what the splits is 
not that cap table. Boy, we live this. So basically trying to say that what he does is legitimate and, and cap table as the capital table, basically. So I thought that was pretty uh, pretty creative for him to say as well. And then he just went off on this one, basically, by saying stating the following. Uh, this one basically talking about him being able to avoid prison by him also trying to help people who are trapped in the prison system, basically. And this is what he said, and I quote, The way we used to play with life, I'm now careful with the sentences, them only jail bars I like. I never wanted to be the state custodian, the laws of draconian, for those who married to the life. It's holy, mat it's holy matrimony, and somehow I'll outfox every box they try to throw me in. With great ceremony and folk in them, told me how highly Caddy spoke of him and bloke in them from London, Harold Road, Weston then, I'd be speaking to the souls of men, those of them willing to die for the existence that this cold world has chose for them, kicking snow off a frozen tim, back and forth on this turnpike really took a toll on them, a lot of fallen soldiers on these roads of sin, for those who make the laws, I'ma always have a smoke for them, I got lawyers like shooters working pro bono for him as a favor cause I throw them M's in memory of Tilo, I pray none of your people die over jail phones again. All this pain from the outside inspired all this growth within. So new plans getting broken in. Highest elevation of the self. They done fucked around and gave us the right niggas wealth. Cool. 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 Woo! Damn, Jay. Jay. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. I'm not even going to, you know, quote the rest of the, of the song. I want you guys to listen to it for yourself. I'm just reading your verbatim. But nonetheless... My goodness. I mean, Jay-Z may arguably be the greatest when it, when it just comes to wordplay. Just wordplay. Maybe. Maybe. But nonetheless, listening to that verse, and by the way, the beat was absolutely cold. Like, disgustingly cold. But listening to that verse <clears throat> just reinstates the notion and the feeling that I have. That in this day and age, in 2022, the year of our Lord, whatever you want to call it, it lets me know that obviously hip hop is not only a young person's game, but it also lets me know that it's old enough at this point that you can have an adult's contemporary section of it. There is room within hip hop music and culture as a whole where, you know, your favorite rappers who are like 40 and over still have a space in this game. Now they may not be the most popular or they, they may not be climbing to the top of the charts, like today's contemporaries, for example, but there's still space for them to breathe and grow and thrive. Prime example, you have Jay who just dropped this beautiful verse, which is arguably verse of the year within rap songs. You have Nas who has dropped three stellar projects within, within the scope of two years. With King's Disease 1, King's Disease 2, which won a Grammy, by the way, and Magic. And Nas is like, what, 48, 49 around this, around this age right now? You have that. In 2015, Dr. Drake came out with the Compton album. Solid album, solid album. So I say all this to say that there can be an adult contemporary section within rap. Just like there is in other genres of music, whether it's... R&B, which we'll, ironically enough, have a discussion about. Uh, whether it's rock, rock music, whether it's jazz. Well, jazz 
technically is basically adult contemporary because it's mostly people of a certain age, like let's say over 40, who perform jazz. You don't really get too many 20-something-year-olds who are popular in the, in the jazz scene. But nonetheless, I digress. I say all that to say that there is room for artists from the 90s, for example, 90s and onwards, to thrive in that adult contemporary space. Whether it's Snoop Dogg, whether it's Busta Rhymes, whether it's Ice Cube, a- anyone that you can think of from that era that still has a following. Hell, look at Tech Nine. Tech Nine has been rapping since the '90s, and you can you can make an argument that right now he's in the best space of his career because of the fact of where the musical landscape as a whole has gone. It's gone digital, and he's been an independent artist ever since '95. Like there is so much room in that in that space in that avenue. I look at somebody like Killer Mike. Killer Mike debuted in two thousand and one. Ever since his run with LP as one half of uh, Run the Jewels, he's had a renaissance that very few other artists have had. Like it's very rare, especially within hip hop, if we're talking about. But it's very rare that an artist becomes more popular in his older years or her older years than in their younger years. That's very rare within hip hop specifically. And it's not as if Killer Mike changed the sound to sound more commercial or whatever the case may be. His sound is whatever he wants it to be. If anything, he used to cater to a sound that was more prevalent during his during his up and coming years within hip hop. But he switched it out because it wasn't for him. And then by the time he got with LP and did Run the Jewels, his notoriety was larger than ever. It's now at the point where they use his songs for movie trailers. He's making guest appearances in streaming platform shows and movies. The man even made a cameo appearance in the final season of Ozark, which is one of Netflix's largest shows and one of the greatest shows ever on television, in my personal opinion. So with all that, It reiterates the notion and the possibility that adult contemporary hip-hop can thrive. And it's not as if you have to be of a certain age to listen to adult contemporary. You can still be 15, 16, you can be 22, whatever the case may be, and still listen to a rapper who's like 40 and over. It's totally fine. It may or may not be one of the more popular rappers to listen to, but there's still a market for it. And so when I hear a verse like this from, from Jay... Not only do I like the fact that it, it strengthens that possibility, but I like the fact that it shows growth. It shows growth and maturity and wisdom. Because the last thing you want to do is be a 45-year-old rapper talking about, yo, I'm still on the block. I'm hugging the block. Yo, I'm, I'm selling them M's. Like, no, nobody. I'm sorry, but nobody. And I would be remiss to find anyone who would be interested. But I can't find anyone who would want to listen to a 45 and older rapper who's still rapping about the same shit that he was rapping about 20 years ago. The only person I can think of that fits that bill is Pusha T. And don't get me wrong, Pusha T is a very talented rapper. His wordplay and and his storytelling is, is very fascinating. But the fact that he's been rapping about crack and cocaine and how to mix it up for 20 years now and is still relevant even to this day baffles me it baffles me i mean of course his connection with kanye and being the head of good music it definitely helps it helps a great deal 
But again, it's like, where's the growth? Unless if you are basically switching out your fan base or you're kind of turning them out, like like uh, what's that? Like uh, not what's not overturn? What's that term that they use in retail? Uh, I, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyways, turnover. Thank you, turnover, turnover. It, it's almost like there was like some some sort of turnover with his fan base, where I guess his fans from the 2000s are like, okay, I'm kind of over this now. But then fans that he's made during the 2010s are probably really into it. It could be that. It could be that. And if it's still working for him, then hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess. But what I like more than anything from any artist, doesn't have to be rap, uh, but especially if it is rap, however, I need there, I need for there to be growth. Growth and progression. I love Nas, but if Nas was still rapping on his Nas Escobar tip, from like 1996, I probably wouldn't be as interested as I am now. You know, there's a lot of rappers I've listened to that I used to be major fans of at one point in time, but then I just stopped listening to them because they showed, or I guess their former growth wasn't aligned with where I was at in life, essentially. And I'm glad that the likes of Jay-Z and Nas are still, you know, uh, they're, 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 they're showing that growth. I love it, and I'm here for it. But anyways, let me just cap this off by saying that Jay's verse is arguably the best verse of the year. You can make a debate about who has had the hottest verse. Um, we've had stellar projects from Joy Badass, from Kendrick Lamar this year. So the debate is definitely on the table. And I'd be curious to know what all of you think about Jay's verse. Was it a classic verse? Was it the verse of the year? Did you think it was same old Jay? Do you think it was new and improved Jay? Either way, give me your thoughts. Hit me up on all my socials, and let's talk about it. All right. Now let's get to the mic check segment of the week, okay? Let's get to that. So off the top, I mentioned that I wanted to have a discussion about Diddy because of some comments that he made not too long ago, actually. And he was basically commenting on the current state of affairs when it comes to today's R&B. And he asked if R&B was dead. And so when he made that statement, a lot of people came out the woodworks. Usher had something to say about it. Chris Brown had something to say about it. Tank had something to say about it. Mary J. Blige had something to say about it. Kaylani, you name it. A lot of people were talking as well as the Twitterverse were giving in their two cents. Now, here's what I'll say. To answer the question right off the top of the head, no, I don't think R&B is dead. Because if R&B was dead, then hip-hop was dead back in the mid-2000s as Nas uh, Nas's album title indicated, but no, it's not dead. I think right now it's going through a it's going through a trendy period, if you will, where the music within R and B, within most R and B, I should say, or the R and B that is mainly within the zeitgeist of pop culture, is very toxic. Straight up, it's very toxic. Now, it's not the type of R and B that I'm into. Um, because the army that I'm into, and it, it doesn't even have to be a thing about, you know, back in my day during the nineties, like I'm not even going to go into that bag, but as far as the content and the sound, the kind of R&B that I like, because there are contemporaries that I listen to from this day that I like that I consider R&B, but the type of R&B that I like is not reflected by the majority of singers who are performing it nowadays. And one could argue as much as I like this artist now, <laughs> but 
But as much as I like this artist now, one can argue that the current state of affairs as far as the toxic trend within R&B started with The weekend. It started with The weekend, EXO's very own. I believe it started with him. From when he debuted The House of Balloons back in, what, 2010, 2011, give or take? I, in my opinion, believe that's where it started. And slowly but surely, more and more artists are going towards that toxic route because they saw that it was working. You can even make the argument that Drake kind of had a hand in it as well because some of the music that he was putting out was a bit toxic to, to a certain degree. And it just became this thing where, you know, a lot of artists or a lot of R&B artists were talking about how they're in their feelings, which is fine. But then it talked about a lot of subject matter that was very self-deprecating and very emotionally unintelligent, if you will. And I'm not trying to say that the music was bad. It's just something that I don't resonate with because then... A lot of people, and music has this effect on people, a lot of people internalize this music and they see it as a way to live their life. So if they're hearing from a lot of these artists saying, you know, you don't want me, you don't want my problems, I'm going to treat you like shit. So if you want to stay with me, just know that I'm going to treat you like shit and we can be shit together. Then a lot of people are going to internalize this and think that that's what everyone is on as far as, as far as their relations with either the same sex or the opposite sex, whatever the case may be. And to me, that's not R&B. I'm sorry, it's just not. And we're just in this phase right now where that is the more commercially commercially viable sound for a lot of R&B artists, or so they think at the very least. So, for example, you know, a few people who kind of fit into the into this category, as far as like toxic singers, um, are artists like Kehlani, Summer Walker, which I've already talked about before, uh, Party Next Door, August Alsina. Bryson Tiller, like I feel like a lot of those artists are kind of within are within that niche. And not only that, but I also happen to find that there's a lot of R&B singers of this day and age nowadays who sound more like rappers. And it's not even like they're doing anything different with their rapping. It they're more so sounding like the stereotypical rappers that you would normally hear on the radio talking about their ice and their jewels and how thug they are and how they'll shoot a dude or whatever. And it's just not appealing. Like, if I really wanted to listen to that kind of rap, which I don't really listen to that often, I would just listen to the actual full-time rappers who are doing it, as opposed to an R&B singer who's working part-time as a rapper. It's like, it's like for those particular rappers, it's usually the male ones. And to me, like, are you trying to assert your masculinity in a way where you want to show people that you're a man enough to talk about shooting a dude or robbing a dude, but then you can still tap into your sensitive side and, and croon to, to your woman, but then at the same time say that I'm going to treat you like shit anyway. Like, I don't understand that. And then for a lot of the, the female singers, from what I'm hearing, it's like, F this guy. I'm going to take his money. If we have a kid, the kid is going to be all mine. He's not going to be able to see the kid because he doesn't love me anymore. Or it's just like, oh, I've been dating this thug guy for like five years and he still won't act up, but I love him anyway. It's like, where's the level of accountability? You know what I mean? Where's where's the accountability? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Hell, even, even Beyonce as a grown-ass woman did the Lemonade album. And I get it. It was about the affair that Jay-Z had with, quote-unquote, Becky with the good hair. But it's like, even she leaned in on, on that on that uh, that bandwagon. It's like an artist of her caliber doesn't need to do that. Like her legacy is already cemented. 
But again, she knows where the money is at, and she knows that people are investing their money into that style of R&B. And, she, and so she chose to hop on it. And to me, it, it's just, it's a weird, weird, weird flex. It's like, how, how does that, how does that, how is that considered R&B? Because, hear me out. When I'm thinking of R&B, and I'm not trying to do the whole back in my day thing like I mentioned before, but just hear me out for a second. I'm not even going to put, I'm not even going to count R&B from like 1960 to like 1986. I'm not going to do that because R&B was definitely very different at the time. R&B was a transition of rock and roll, basically, once you're going into the 60s. And then even within R&B, you had your divisions of it. You had doo-wop, you had crooning, you had a whole bunch of different things within R&B at that time. Either way, the sound was completely different. The R&B that we know today or that we're the most familiar with is the combination of rhythm and blues and hip hop, which is created, which was created in the late 80s that was coined as New Jack Swing. You know, you had T-Sweat and Teddy Riley as the anchors of that style of, of R&B. And then yet artists like Bobby Brown, for example, who leaned into that, okay? So... I'm talking about from 1988 up until now, what we know as R&B to the point where on the Billboard charts, hip hop and R&B are combined. In the late 80s and all throughout the 90s and to a certain extent, the 2000s, you had different types of R&B acts, whether they were solo artists or they were or they were in groups and you had different stylings, but you had room for all kinds of stylings. You had room for groups like TLC that had singers and a rapper in the group. The same thing can be said about a group like Escape or SWV. Or on one end of the spectrum, you had the romantic stylings of, of boys to men. You know what I mean? Like you had, I'll make love to you. I'll be good to you. Like you had that. And then on the other side of the spectrum you had jodeci who was just like overtly sexy overtly like machismo and just all about doing the nasty you know what i mean it's like what must i say what must i do to show you how much i think i'm afraid you like you have that you know what i mean you have that but the thing was everyone had a seat at the table everyone could eat no matter what your style was but nowadays it just feels like everyone's being served the same plates and what we want is a bit more variety and it can't just be this one thing like there are so many styles to go around you had someone who had more of a softer high-pitched voice like an Aaliyah rest in peace by the way her actually the death of her the anniversary of her death was not that long ago now that I mentioned that but again rest in peace um you had Lauren Hill who had a bit more of a stronger tone to her voice but also mixed it up with spoken word like again I mean Erica Badu who had more of like more of a more classically trained style like uh, like the old blue style of like Etta James or, or Billie Holiday and mixed it with what was known at that time as Neo Soul, you know? So anyways, I say all that to say that there was so much more variety to go around when it came to the styles of singing as well as the subject matter. But nowadays, 
everyone is just on the toxic, toxic, toxic tip. And a lot of the, the a, a lot of the production is being done over drawn out 808 bass drums and stuff like that. And it, it's like they're singing over a rap song. And I'm not opposed to that per se, but like if you mix that with, with the subject matter, then I'm asking myself, am I listening to a rapper or am I listening to a singer? I don't understand. One could say that maybe Drake started that because of his rapping and singing and what have you. But at least I can sing with Drake to a certain extent that when he was singing over his, when he sings over his records, he knows exactly what he's singing over. He doesn't really sing over trap records. <laughs> like he'll sing over an R&B ballad. Like he'll sing over something like Just Hold On, We're Going Home. He'll sing over something like Find Your Love. He'll sing over something like, um, I'm trying to think of another record that he has. Uh, let's say uh, Hotline Bling, right? I just feel like there's a lack of variety when it comes to R&B singers and everyone's just following the uh, conveyor belt into what to do next to stay relevant. And that's never a good look. It almost reminded me of the time when R&B tried to go, you know, EDM for a minute during the later 2000s, whether it was a combination of singing with autotune or singing over EDM type of music. Like when Usher did Oh My God, don't get me wrong, it was a good song. But it did not sound like Usher at all. It felt like Usher was literally trying to chase the trends. Mary J. Blige did auto-tune for, for a bit in that period. The only artist I could think of that sounded a bit more natural during that era were Neo. And that's mainly because of the fact that he's written for so many different artists in and outside of R&B. And, and Chris Brown, who was extremely versatile when it comes to his style of, of performance. Like, Beautiful People, dope-ass record. Like, he's one of the few R&B singers who was able to get away with doing something like that and not make it sound as if he was chasing a trend. Nowadays, it just sounds like everyone is chasing a trend. Now, I did mention that there are a few singers that I like to listen to from today's generation that actually sound like R&B. And those people are Bruno Mars, Anderson Pack, who's my personal favorite, Snow Allegra, Kali Uchis, and Adele. I like those artists. Those artists are very talented, and they sing a more, I guess, traditional-ish style of R&B. But they're eclectic enough to introduce other elements into it, but they still keep the soul element. The soul element, the blues element. And they do have some content on their on their albums and projects that you know can sound a bit depressing, or they, they talk about you know tragedy and heartache and what have you. But that's totally fine because they mix it up with with joy and laughter and celebration of love and everything in between. There is a variety. There is parody within what what they're singing about within their catalogs and their discographies, whereas everyone else is just on the toxic bandwagon so when diddy's out here talking about r&b is dead i don't agree with him in that notion because r&b is still alive and, and they're just going through like a trendy phase right now but i understand where the sentiment comes from i do i really do now there are some people who will say how there are it's mostly black artists who are singing you know in in the uh the toxic box so to speak and how R&B or the natural R&B that, that we know and love is only celebrated when it's done by non-black artists. 
So, if this was like 30 years ago, people who are, who are making that argument would have a point. Or beyond 30 years ago. Because we all know about how you had somebody like Elvis Presley have his have all the hits that he has that's made him legendary were stolen from other artists like Ronald Isley and, and, and Muddy Waters and a few people to name as well. But you can't tell me in 2022 that there aren't other R&B singers out there who can at least make a name for themselves, whether it's on a major level or if it's on a minor level that can still make the R&B that makes us feel good about love or that makes us feel invulnerable when we have our vulnerable moments because we're listening to somebody else profess their pain as well. There are plenty of artists out there. I just mentioned Anderson Pack. Before he joined forces with Bruno, Mar- Bruno Mars to do the Silk Sonic project, only people within hip-hop and, and R&B culture really knew who he was. And he is like the combination of like James Brown meets Teddy Pendergrass, for example. Because he's funky, he's soulful, he has that raspy voice. He plays multiple instruments. Like, he has an R&B soul. And it comes out in his music. Like, I would love to hear him do uh, an, an album with Jay Dilla or something like that. Rest in peace, by the way. I would love to hear that. Because that would just be amazing all across the board. You have an artist like like Snow Allegra that I just mentioned. Who, of course, is not black. But she makes great music, and it's not like she's on the top of the Billboard charts like everyone else is, like an Adele or a Sam Smith. But people know about her music. They know about her music. They know how good she is when it comes to her music, and they still listen because she has a certain R&B vibe that is kind of lacking today. You you hear about somebody like Kali Uchis, for example. Not too many people know about Kali Uchis. She's not she's not you know mainstream. She's not on you know a lot of people's radar. But she's hella talented. And she has a natural R&B vibe to her. But she's also very versatile in other genres of music. And then when it comes to Bruno Mars, for example. Man, it took years for Bruno Mars to blow up. People think that this guy just blew up overnight. Or that he was stealing black music just so he can get a Grammy. Like, that couldn't be further from the truth. Because since 2009, he's been writing for some of your favorite artists. He's been writing for Neo. He's been writing for Chris Brown. He wrote for Beyonce. It's no coincidence that in this stage of his career, he's now leaning into the music that he grew up on. He's gotten the co-sign from people like Jimmy Jam and Teddy Riley because they, they they took him under their wing. And he gives props each and every single time when he's asked about who his influences were. And his influences come out within his music. So I'm sorry, but I'm not going to buy this excuse that, you know, this is just some manufactured way of keeping black artists down because they want us to talk about killing each other and and being toxic to each other. No, this is something that a lot of these artists chose for themselves. I'm going to say it one more time. They chose that for themselves. And I say that because, like I was talking about earlier off the top about us being in the digital age when it comes to our music. Who's to say that you can't do the music that you feel like that you want to do and you'll get a solid following off of it? Not saying that you're going to be at the top of the charts, but if you have like a a consistent, let's say 200,000 listeners or something to that extent, and that equates into money, 
thing, you're going to be living pretty good. Somebody's going to somebody's going to find you. You're going to be exposed to a ton of people. And if you can if you can finesse that into an independent record deal where you, where you get the majority of your returns, depending on what kind of deal you're signing, of course, and, and the contingencies that come with it, then you don't need to have this feeling of you need to be on the, t- the uh, not necessarily the top of the charts, but you have to be the, the face of pop culture, whatever the case may be, in order to, to, to get on. It's not how it works anymore. It, it's just not. Like, we've seen so many success stories from artists who had a smaller following and then they ended up growing it without having to compromise their music. I just mentioned Anderson Pack. I just mentioned him. You know, I just mentioned Snow Allegra. I look at somebody like her, for example, who ironically enough is kind of going into that toxic bag. But this this person had Grammys before she even touched 25. You know, I looked at somebody like Daniel Caesar who had who had a huge buzz at one point in time. So this notion that black artists or black singers are being forced to write about derivative toxic culture music as a way to get on. I mean, think about it like this. If everyone is doing toxic music, like let's say, let's just, I'm just going to throw out a random number, for example. Okay, Let's just say 80% of R&B singers that are out right now in this day and age are doing toxic music. If that's the case, then what makes you think you're going to stand out from the rest? Like, it kind of disappointed me when Tank, somebody who is a veteran R&B artist, said in the uh, in a conference call with Diddy on some sort of chat room that they were in, he said how he had to ch- he, he had to change the sound of his music so that he could get on. Dude, you've been in the game for like over 20 years. You shouldn't be changing your music to conform to the ears of 20-year-olds who probably don't even know who you are. Stay in your lane, bro. Do the adult contemporary stuff. I was just talking about it within hip-hop. You can do like R&B has a has a much better footholding for contemporary or for um for that uh, adult contemporary lane than hip hop does. So who's to say you can't stay in your lane and do the music that you want to do? You don't think that Gladys Knight could get a room in Vegas, for example, and use that for like the entire summer and make bank off that? Of course she could. Of course, because we're all suckers of nostalgia. So what would make you think that you have to stay relevant by by conforming to a sound of music? That, that wasn't your own. It just makes you sound immature. So let me close off by saying the following. Once again, I'll reiterate one more time. I do not believe that R&B is dead. However, I will say that there is a soulful element that is surely lacking. Whether it's the male R&B singers who, who, who want to come across as thugs and want to sound like B-rated rappers singing over drill beats or whether it's the women in R&B who don't want to take accountability for their own actions by still by still continuously singing about a guy that they know they shouldn't be with in the first place R&B needs to fix up this toxic stuff is I don't want to say it's killing the music but it's it's making the music very unattractive. Very unattractive, to say the least. Now, there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with the artists that I just mentioned, as far as them 
you know, providing R&B, like soulful R&B, regardless of the fact that they're black or not. Because me personally, I don't care. I just care about talent. I don't care what you look like. If you can sing, you can sing. No one can take that away from you. And just to go back to that notion, I mean, if that were the case, like if it was more about a ploy to prop up all, you know, white or and or non-black singers, then wouldn't literally like every single white slash non-black R&B singer be at the top of the charts right now? But that's not the case. That's not the case. The, the only ones that I can think of who are at the top top are probably Adele and Sam Smith. And that's dependent on whether or not they have a project out right now. But I digress. I think R&B needs to fix up. I need. I think it needs to tap back into its soulful roots. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for toxic R&B. Like, there definitely is. But it shouldn't be the forefront or the forebearer of what R&B is supposed to sound like. R&B is rhythm and blues. And when you combine those things together, there's a soulful element that comes into play within the sound of the production, within the melody of, of the artist's voice, and within the subject matter as well. R&B is supposed to make you feel good, and it's supposed to make you feel as if it's okay to cry over heartbreak. But what it's not supposed to do, in my opinion, is that it's not supposed to make you feel content with being poisonous towards someone else, or thinking that feeling poisonous is a thing that should be normalized because it is not. So I would implore anyone who is a fan of R&B. I mean, if you're a fan of this current R&B, great. But beyond that, I would say that there is plenty more R&B to listen to. There's plenty more soulful R&B at that to listen to. And that it doesn't have to be just one thing. It can be multiple things. But there definitely needs to be a soulful element in R&B from more artists going forward. But hey, maybe I'm just an old head who's stuck in my feelings. What do you guys think? Either way, let me know. Hit me up with your thoughts on, on all my socials because I'm curious to hear yours. Cool. Let's get into Trip Talk, all right? Three of the hottest topics that took place within hip-hop and pop culture. And with that, uh, here we go. So the first one I want to bring up is about an AI rapper. And when I say AI, I'm talking about artificial intelligence. An AI rapper that goes by the name of FN Mecca or Mika um, was offered a record deal by Capitol Records. However, there was some backlash that came with this AI rapper who basically looks like Takashi 69 if you were in Fortnite. Let's I'm just being 100 about that. Anyways, there was some backlash that came with this and backlash with, you know, giving a CG cartoon figure, you know, a record deal and what have you. But the backlash also came when its creator, uh, I don't know the person's name, but it's a white guy, uh, but the Guy who created him reportedly got this FN Mika rapper to say the N-word on multiple of his lyrics. So, suffice to say, they dropped him shortly thereafter. So, as far as, you know, the rapper or the 
AI rapper, whatever you want to call it, saying the N-word or getting programmed to say the N-word by its white programmer. I mean, do I really need to go into that? Like, it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, you just don't do stuff like this. And I was literally going to make this the Wankster of the Week, but I, I did not only because I felt like this goes into a larger discussion about how rap in almost every decade that it's been in, maybe maybe with exception to the 80s perhaps potentially but nonetheless every decade that rap has been alive for at least one time per decade there's always been some sort of way to make rap more gimmicky and in the 2010s or sorry in the 2020s now i should say damn wow we're actually seeing the 2020s now holy cow anyways (laughs) with that said this is the latest gimmick attempt to make an AI rapper, to make an NFT rapper, to make a CG rapper, and to make him look like the most gimmickiest thing that you can find. Like, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It has tats on his face and the side of its head, I think. Um, it has green braids. One side of his head is shaved. It has green eyes to match. Um, it has a gold chain with, like, a pendant that's glowing and then it has like a metal hand like it's from cyberpunk or something like that like it's weird it's really weird like imagine terminator having a midlife crisis that's what it looks like and capital records was trying to capitalize off of this like this reminds me of when bad baby aka catch me outside girl got a record deal because the clip of her you know telling her mom off went viral on Dr. Phil. And then she was able to secure a record deal off of that, which then lets her getting an OnlyFans deal as well on top of that. I don't even know if she still makes music. I really don't. But regardless, a lot of labels out there for years, this is nothing new, but for years they've tried to make certain things into gimmicks. Sometimes they, they worked, sometimes they didn't. And even if they did work, it only worked for like, a short time because there's always something new and trendy and gimmicky that got other people's attention. And I think this scenario was the latest one. I mean, if there is one thing that cancer culture has been good for, you know, during the last couple of years now or last few years, depending on how you are, how you want to date it. It was the fact that there was so much backlash and outrage on social media that it was enough to rescind the record deal that they gave to, I guess the programmer of the AI rapper. So cancel culture was actually useful for once um, or for one of the rare times, I should say. But nonetheless, these are the breaks when it comes to any genre of music that is entrenched within the zeitgeist of pop culture. That's basically what it comes down to. And so hopefully something like this doesn't happen again. I think this should be a lesson learned that stuff like this does not get a pass and should not get a pass. I could understand if this is something that was like used as a joke in a music video, I'd be totally on board with that. But to actually give employment <laughs> to an AI rapper because he looks like a total douche lord, to me makes no sense whatsoever. But that's my take on it. What do you guys think? Uh, once again, let me know what your thoughts are, share them with me, and let's talk about it. <laughs> Next on the list. We have NBA Youngboy, who reportedly signed a $60 million contract 
with Cash Money Records. Ooh, 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 young boy, young boy, what are you doing? Man, young boy is such an appropriate name because that was a very immature decision to make with cash. Like, if Birdman put a gun to your head, then I can understand. But if you had free will and you did this record signing under zero duress whatsoever, then why, why would you sign a record deal with cash money of all record labels? Listen, I always tell people, when it comes to rap record labels, there are two record labels that you do not, I repeat, you do not sign with under any circumstance whatsoever. It's Bad Boy and it's Cash Money. I'm not going to go in on Bad Boy. That one's self-explanatory. But when it comes to Cash Money... They have, once again, a high turnover rate of record, of recording artists, and even producers as well. The first artists to sign with with Cash Money were the Hot Boys. It was Juvenile, it was Turk, it was BG, and everyone's favorite, Lil Wayne. And then they added more artists to the roster. Like, uh, for example, Manny Fresh was one of the founding members. He's more of a producer than a rapper, but he still raps. And then they added Mac 10 and they added a few other people, right? But let's just go down the timeline, all right? Juvenile was their hottest artist. I mean, back that ass up from the 9-9 to the 2000, right? We know, we know this. He eventually left. He eventually left. Turk went to jail, and then he eventually left. BG went to jail, then he came back, and then he eventually left. Mac-10 came around, and then he eventually left. TQ came around, and then he eventually left. Manny Fresh... Again, like I said, was one of the founding members of Cash Money. And even he left. He was one half of the big timers with Birdman. And he left. So all you had left was Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne who had been there from the 9-9 to the 2000. And onward, of course. And he was on the brink of leaving. Hell, he was on his way to signing a record deal with Jay-Z at Rockefeller. But Birdman said, if you stay, not only will I pay you more, but you will have your own record label as well. Hence, how Young Money was born. And even then, when it came to Young Money, it started off with Mac Main and Currency. Currency left. Smartest decision he could have made. And then he made the new and improved Young Money with Drake, who eventually left. With Nicki Minaj, who I'm actually not sure of what her contract situation with Young Money looks like. With Tyga. Again, he's another one whose record contract situation I'm not sure. I think he's still there, but does not want to be there anymore. And then you had 
Gutta gutta. He left. Little Twist. He left. Jay Sean. He left. Kevin Rudolph. He left. Jay Mills. He left. And when all the smoke and ash was clear from the runway, Little Wayne of all people, Little Wayne, Little Wayne, the artist who has been with Cash Money from the 99 to the 2000 and beyond, he wanted to leave. Why? Because Birdman was preventing him from releasing the Carter Five and was holding him against his will. Someone that he has referred to as his own son. They came out with a dual album together in 2007 called Like Father, Like Son. And he wanted to leave. Do you know how stressed Lil Wayne is looking these days? Or has been looking over the last few years because he couldn't get out of his record deal with cash money? Man, it's like he's losing a dread day by day. He has like these nasty looking blonde dreads that they don't look appealing at all. Remember his dreads? When he was thriving in the 2000s during his Carter eras, and even to a certain point during like the early 2010s, his dreads look healthy. Now his dreads just they they look bad. He looks like that that raggedy ass doll that Angelica used to play with in Rugrats. That's what he's looking like right now. It's looking bad. Like he he was down bad. And now, fast forward, circa 2022, you're trying to tell me that NBA Youngboy signed a $60 million record deal with cash money? To the uninformed out there, let me tell you all something. When you get a record deal from a major label, or a label that's affiliated with a major label, in this case, Cash Money Records being affiliated with Universal, there's something that you need to know. When it comes to having a $60 million contract, it does not state that $60 million is yours for you to pocket and keep. You will get an advance within that contract that you can keep in pocket for your own use. But when it comes to a $60 million contract, instead of it being granted to you, it's more like a loan. It's more like them saying, we are loaning you this with the hopes that you will pay us back with the amount of record sales and even, you know, performance dates that you put up. Because even nowadays, record labels are taking from artists who, who produce their own merch and, and pocket their own money through performances and appearances. We call that a 360 deal because it all comes back around to the record labels. Okay. And once you have that record deal in place, there are so many people that you have to pay. First of all, you have to pay the engineers who are basically like contractors in a sense. You have to pay the producers who are making the beats, who again are like contractors. Um, you have to pay your agents, your PRs, uh, like PR team, I should say, your ARs, the label itself for the promotion and the distribution of your project so that you've been plastered on the front of like Times Square and stuff like that. And when it's all said and done, if an artist is lucky, they get to pocket anywhere between seven to 10% of what they make on record sales. Before it used to be a point where the, the, the most amount of money that they can pocket would be from performances. 
uh, live performances and stuff like that in tours. But because of the way that a lot of record contracts are being structured nowadays, a lot of that money that they that they earn through like tours and stuff like that is now going towards the labels itself. So they basically use these artists for to, to pump the machine, so to speak, and they leave them with nothing. And it's to the point where some of these artists will go broke or they'll be in debt. Tony Braxton was in debt to her record label for $6 million at one point in time. TLC, while not being in debt, did not make a dime out of the music that they made from 91 to 99. And up until 2005, they were the highest selling female group of all time, regardless of genre. They sold more than the Supremes. They sold more than the Dixie Chicks. They sold more than the fucking Spice Girls. The Spice Girls. And yet they didn't receive a dime until they fired their manager back in 2000. This record industry has been shady for a number of years. And it's very disheartening that, especially within rap, it's very disheartening that a lot of these rappers coming up aren't learning from the mistakes of the artists that came before them. Especially when you're looking at a record label like Cash Money that whose track record is very public. Very. Even when I was a teenager, I was aware of the turnover from, from Cash Money. I was like, man, that's strange. What's going on here? I don't, I don't understand. Even when I didn't really know the ins and outs of the record label or the, or the record industry that much, not nearly as much as I do now, but even I found something fishy about that. And my thing is this. If you are that talented of an artist, whether it's what you put in your music or if it's your image or anything of the sort, and you have a label that's offering you a $60 million contract, it tells me that you have interest in general. You could get maybe not that large of a contract, but you could get some kind of a contract from any record label, from multiple record labels, I should say. And it's very ironic that Youngboy has MBA in his name. And MBA for him is an acronym that stands for Never Broke Again. Because boy, oh boy, I don't wish this on him. But if he's not careful, he will be broke again very, very soon. Cash money will eat you up and spit you out as quickly as you sign that contract. Now, I don't know the details of the contract. I don't know what type of contingencies were put in that contract. But signing a contract with Birdman and Cash Money is like signing a contract with Suge Knight and Death Row back in the mid-90s. It's something that you just don't want to do. So I hope for his sake that he has some sort of ironclad contract that he was able to negotiate with his agents and his representatives so that he pockets a generous amount of money from what he does. I can only hope. But if that's not the case, then he's going to have a lot of problems that he's going to have to face. And I hope that he can deal with it in the most ethical way possible because no one deserves to have the hardship of having to sign to a record label like Cash Money, who will take all of your cash money. What do you all think about that? You already know what to do. Hit me up on all my socials and uh, let me know what you're thinking about the story and that and much more. And final topic for Trip Talk. 
Super Producers, Swiss Beats, and Timbaland, the owners of the Versus brand, the brand that has gotten you so many head-to-head matchups between our favorite hip-hop and R&B singers from yesteryear, have reportedly combined to sue Triller, the company that they sold the rights to Versus to, for $28 million. And they are suing for $28 million because they're stating that that is the amount of money that is owed to them for the production of Versus over the last, what, two years now since since it's been around. So this is very interesting because Versus actually used to be on Apple Music. And my personal opinion is they should have kept it on Apple Music to make it a much more commercially viable product and brand. Whereas Triller, Triller is more for a niche audience. It's more for, it's basically more for that hip-hop-centric audience, which is totally fine because that's essentially what it is. But if you're looking for more growth and exposure to potentially have more than just hip-hop acts on there, if you want to have pop acts from like yesteryear to, to be more exposed to it, then Apple Music would have been the perfect avenue to have that. But that's just my two cents. Nonetheless, they are suing for the amounts that, that they feel are owed to them. Now, Triller fired back and said that it has paid quote-unquote over 50 million dollars in cash and stock to swiss beats in timbaland to date and claims that the duo have not met the threshold for receiving additional earnout payments so when i see stuff like this for example to me it sounds like someone is not telling the entirety of the truth and a representative from triller also stated that, quote-unquote, we don't believe they've met the obligations. So if you're saying, and I'm just pontificating out loud for a second here, but if you're stating that we don't believe that they've met the obligations and you're suing for, or sorry, you're not suing, but you're, you stated that, they, that you've paid over $50 million in, in in cash and stock, then to me, it's either... They've met the obligations or they haven't met the obligations. You're leaving too much room for uncertainty and ambiguity in that regard. So I'm not saying that Triller is lying. Definitively. I'm just saying that someone, either Triller or Swizzy and Timbaland, are not telling the entirety of the truth. Because something's got to give at this point. Like, how is it that one party is saying that you owe them 28 million but then the other party is saying we've already paid 50 where does the truth begin and the lie end i don't know it's kind of fishy right now i'm not saying i'm on either person's side or anything like that but i know with triller their content is based more so on verses as well as Celebrity boxing matches that take place with Jake and Logan Paul, you know, so To me, they're not so much of a more credible source. I get it They're more of an upstart company and I'm here for upstart companies as well I'm not even gonna knock that but between that and Apple music a brand that is very well established that will pay out Whomever is selling them a goods that they find is beneficial to their brand cough cough beats from Dre I mean, Dre and Jimmy Iovine got paid $3.2 billion. I don't know. The smart money says you should have stuck with Apple Music. 
because regardless of who's lying and who's telling the truth, Swizzy and Timbo would not be in this predicament had they, had they just stuck with Apple Music. Apple Music was the much more viable brand. But hey, it's neither here nor there at this point. All we can hope to find out going forward is what the exact details are coming in from each side and see which one has a much more legitimate case in in uh, receiving what they feel as if they're owed. But it would be a shame if the Versus brand ended altogether because of the fact that these two entities didn't agree on a number because it's been very entertaining for the fans over the last couple of years, especially when you take into consideration that we were locked in, not locked, I can't say locked, but we were advised to stay in our homes at all times or as, as, as often as possible. And we were being provided with entertainment from our artists from yesteryear. So hopefully they can work their shit out and we'll see where it goes from here. But who do you believe is right in this situation? Who do you believe is wrong? Is somebody telling the truth or somebody lying? Either way, let me know what your thoughts are and let's have a conversation about it. And it is that time of the show that you guys all know and love. So with that being said, I'm not going to keep you waiting any further. So on that note, who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster goes to rapper Erica Banks. Okay. Now, Erica Banks is getting the Wankster of the Week because of the fact that when she was performing at a pep rally for a bunch of teenage students, mostly teenage boys, she then proceeded to twerk in front of said teenage boys. And it's not like she was twerking on a stage or anything like that. She was actually twerking like maybe like a few inches away from them. There was basically, basically like a huddle around her and she was performing and then she started to twerk and the boys were like, oh my God. And for me, it's like, that looks a little sus. It looks a little suspect. And I'm only saying that because we're talking about teenagers. We're talking about minors here. She's 23. And these are teenagers. Now, if this was like a frosh party at like a college or university, I wouldn't even be talking about this. This would be whatever. This would be par for the course. Because they're all grown. They're adults in the eyes of society. They have SIN cards. They, they, they can pay loans. They can enlist in the army. They can do everything that is required of an adult to do. Only thing they can't do at this certain point in time is drink, depending on what state they're in. In Canada, the law is 19. But you're twerking in front of teenage pupervescent boys whose nuts haven't even dropped fully yet. That's just weird. It's weird. They probably felt no ways about it. Cool. But it's weird. And I'm saying that it's weird because if the rules were reversed, and if this were a male performer who was 23 and he was performing in front of 17, 16, 15-year-old girls. And he was mere inches away from them and simulating oral sex or or doing some insane pelvic thrust. We would all be saying the same thing. Hell, we, we would be saying, cancel, cancel. 
Hell, we we all made fun of Tyga when he was dating one of the uh, Jenner sisters. I can't remember if, if it was Kylie or or Kendall, whichever one was seventeen at the time. We all clowned him. So all I'm doing is keeping the same energy. I'm keeping the same energy. I'm being consistent, and rightfully so. They were right to clown him, and people would be right to clown or you know just you know squint their eyes at any twenty three year old male performer who is doing those types of things in front of 17-year-old girls or just teenage girls in general. So for me, I'm keeping the same energy. It's just, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. I'm just saying, of course, those little boys, they're like, hey, oh my God, yeah, you know, good for them, but it's still kind of weird. I'm just saying. And listen, I'm not going to say, oh, she was being too sexual or anything like that. Listen, you can be as sexual as you want, all right? Like, I don't listen to Erica Banks. I'm not really familiar with, with, with her music. But if she wants to be sexually charged in the music, that's totally fine. I'm not even knocking that. At the same time, however, you got to know your audience. So if you know you're performing in front of a bunch of high schoolers at a pep rally, don't do anything sexually suggestive when you're in close proximity to them. Because once you do that, people are going to start talking. They're going to start talking. I mean, hell, look at the, the backlash that Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion got two years ago for a music video they did for, 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 for WAP. That was just a music video. It wasn't even a performance. It was a music video. Now, of course, that plays into a larger conversation. I'm well aware of that. But I just bring that up to say that people are willing to talk about anything if you give them the opportunity to do so. So maybe it might be a bit different if she was performing this like on a stage and doing stuff like that. Maybe it would still be a little sus. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that she was in very close proximity, like inches away from these boys and almost teasing it. It's almost like it was almost like she was it was almost like like a lap dance with it. Just a little tease, a little tease, you know. It adds it adds cause for pause is all I'm trying to say. So she can sing about and talk about whatever she wants to wants to in her music. That's totally fine. I'm not even mad at that. But when you're in the proximity of minors, you gotta know your audience. That's all I'm saying. But because she didn't know her audience at that moment, I gotta give her the wanks of the week. And on that note, that brings us to a close for another episode, ladies and gents. So I want to thank y'all for tuning in like you normally do. Also, let me know what you guys feel about with regards to the format that I'm doing right now, just as far as how often I put out the pods, whether you're enjoying the uh, the bi-weekly stuff and the more sporadic stuff. Either way, let me know. I'm always curious to hear the feedback because a large part of what I do is because of you guys, and I appreciate the uh, listenership they've given me over the years and the viewership on my YouTube channel as well, so I really do appreciate that. Speaking of which, when it comes to channels, uh, you can follow me on multiple platforms, uh, IG, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I think that's about it. YouTube, you can check out the YouTube. I haven't posted anything on YouTube in a very long time, but if you want to go back into the vault and check those out, feel free. Feel more than free to do so. Also, uh, the show 
Cool Radio. This can be listened to on SoundCloud. It can be listened to on Spotify. And it can also be listened to on Google Play Music. So feel free to check those out when you do. And as always, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.